in Germany, I would just not cold email. Unfortunately, that sucks. You live in Europe. It's not great for marketing. It doesn't seem to be as great like for, for business. Like I love Europe. I'm moving to Europe like ne- next year, but I would just not touch cold email if I was if I was in in Germany. So we have with us uh, for this Q and A, Amar, which um, maybe you guys know him from Twitter or his blog. Um, but Amar has built a SaaS company to help. Uh, made services, run their business. He scaled it up to $2 million in ARR. He's a really helpful guy on the internet. Um, a lot of people really like talking to him. And he's been kind enough to come on to Indie Worldwide to give us a, a exclusive uh, opportunity here to ask him questions. If you really like this session, if you want more out of him, uh, definitely hit up MASH about Sparrow Startups and see if you can't get into one-on-one uh, mentoring with Amar. But with that, I hand the mic to you, sir. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sounds good. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. So my story is really, uh, I read like the four hour work week back in two thousand and seven, two thousand and six, whenever it first came out. I think a lot of people um, have probably read that book. Like by this point, it's probably planted the seed in pretty much everyone's heads of just like how cool would it be to go and to be a digital nomad, to work remotely, to have that sort of like freedom. Maybe that's not for everyone, right? Maybe, you know, you're watching this and you just want to make some money. You want to like have all the time in the world and to just be able to hang out with your kids at home. That's totally cool. But I was very much focused on like that freedom. I just wanted like the ability to do like anything that I wanted to. And so, yeah, like I said, like that really just like planted, uh, planted that, that seed for me back in the day. And so from there, I spent what, eight, nine years essentially trying little side projects, little side hustles, um, all that that stuff. And I started working in 2013. So it would have been in April of 2013 is when uh, my friend Arun and I started working on Zenmade together. So for those of you that don't follow me on Twitter, I'm a non-technical um, founder that I'm the guy who like essentially like I realized at the very beginning that my my technical co-founder was like the talent of the business right that first two years he was probably 80 or 90 percent of the business and so I literally did like everything else right it was like you know if he was if he was in the middle of a code sprint and wanted Chipotle I would go and get him and get him like Chipotle right now granted for me like I'm very like ADD I'm very interrupt driven so for me that's not a big deal I drive over to Chipotle I'm just thinking about stuff maybe making a sales call on the way or like or whatever but I really like hustled like at the beginning to um to kind of like make that um make that like happen right and so like since now or since then it's like very much evened out that he actually left the company in 2017 and still gets paid like to this day like every month he just gets like a check it's a little bit smaller than it used to be but he still gets a check every month like we, we've got a great relationship and he's like groomsmen at my wedding and like and everything but um that was like quite quite cool um in like in, in the beginning so that was 2013 right so 2013 if you guys um yeah again if you check like my twitter if you check the um the top thread i talk a little bit about both how much revenue we made and my actual take-home pay during um during like like this time and so we started in 2013 we made just under a thousand dollars like in total during 2013 in like the nine months and we, we only actually launched the software in october i think of 2013 so we spent the six or seven months before that building it building out some emails doing like all of um all of that stuff um first the first three years in business for zen made it 
was just um, just the two of us. It was me and uh, and my friend Arun building the business. So during that time, there were a couple of marketing channels. I know that a lot of folks here are focused on like on growth and getting that initial growth, that initial traction and stuff. So um, what what we did at the beginning is we used cold email, as you guys have seen in, in like in the headline for, for this event, that cold email was the primary driver of like our first like hundred customers or so. But mixed in with that was also um, one lucky partnership that actually came from our cold email process, right? It wasn't actually a cold email. It was actually like a LinkedIn outreach that was like kind of part of like the same, like the same like outreach campaign that we were doing that turned into a partnership with an industry influencer. And then the other thing that I that I'd forgotten until like maybe five minutes before the call or something is that we actually ran paid ads for ZenMade since day one, but at a very, very small amount. So literally because we wanted to have just a very consistent amount of traffic that I'm always about consistency. I don't really care about speed as long as we're like we're consistent. And that's always been like kind of like kind of my approach is um is we started out spending just $5 a day or whatever the minimum ads were. I think it's $5 a day on Facebook and maybe you can get away with less than that like on Google. But we used paid ads to just make sure that it's like, okay, if we make some change to the website, like it's not a true A-B test, but we can see if it's just all of a sudden zeroed out our leads or whatever. And so we just wanted that like sort of consistency of like, we can count on three people a day giving us their emails, right? That's something to work with. That's something to like to grow or whatever. Um, so that's how we got our first hundred customers. And the first hundred customers, I think took us about those three years, right? Like it took us, it took us, uh, yeah, three years to get to $10,000 a month. Um, at two and a half years, I remember we were at $8,000 a month because that's when I quit my full-time job and started traveling that out of $8,000 a month for reference guys, I was paying myself um, I was paying myself $1,000 a month and moved out of San Francisco, flew to Thailand and cut my expenses and started doing like the digital nomad thing. So that was kind of how I bought my freedom um, to, um, yeah, like like back in the day, right? And that's just something that, you know, young, dumb, no responsibilities, right? Like I had $10,000 in credit card debt, but I was just looking at it and I was like, yes, I make a bunch of money in San Francisco, but I'm also not getting ahead, right? And it's like, you know, thanks mom for telling me I can live with you or I could save money by like not going out and drinking, but I could also kill myself to save money, right? Like I'm going to keep going out and drinking. So once I realized that, that I wasn't saving money in San Francisco anyways, then it was like, okay, like I, like if I'm, if I'm not going to be like actually getting ahead here, I might as well go and work on this full time and really take, like, take the shot. Uh, interesting, like just side note there is that, um, is that I actually felt that that was the very, very low risk thing to do. To me, the high risk thing to do on a personal level was staying at the nine to five job because I knew where that path was going to take me like down the line, right? That like I wasn't concerned about it not working. I was concerned about not taking the shot, right? And continuing to not take the shot or sorry, not continuing to take shots, right? Um, <clears throat> okay, where was I? So that's how we started um, or that's how we got everything kind of going back in like in in like in, in the beginning first three years is a bit of a I don't know a lot happened but it's not a lot to talk about you know like you, you guys will find that as you as you're a couple of years into the business first three years you're like oh my god so much has happened you get to be like year five and you're like yeah the first three years don't matter like that's that's just like a blip like let's let's not talk about that <laughs> um, so um yeah. Oh yeah. Another thing. Sorry. Another just really quick thing because Mash mentioned this to me on like on our call before this is so like, I don't want anyone here thinking that like, I don't know, like I'm smarter than you guys or like worked harder than you guys or anything like that. Like 
all that it is is really that I've taken enough shots to find something like that worked and that took a while and may take you a while. But once I found that thing, I just doubled down on it and just stuck with it. Right. That once we had the product market fit, like I feel that all like almost everyone that I look up to in SaaS, it's not the people that like, you know, jump out to like a couple million dollars in like in two years. It's the guys that have been doing it for 13 years. And I'm just like, oh, cool. Like if I do this for another four years, I could reasonably be at three million dollars a year in revenue as well. So just a little thing like there is like, yeah, there's nothing magic about anything that I've done. Like I had no experience with anything other than sales before we like we started this company. So 2015 is when we launched the Zenmade Mastermind. So that's when we built a community for um, for our actual niche. And that was one of the first sort of marketing things that we did that put us on the map. So my goal with a lot of Zenmade's marketing, a lot of our stuff is like direct response, like, you know, um, you paid ads, cold email, all of that stuff. But we also do a lot of stuff where it's more like, um, yeah, almost like, like this, where it's not necessarily sort of like your traditional marketing, but my goal is to essentially create things um, create things that will get folks talking about Zenmade or about something that Zenmade has done without necessarily feeling like they're endorsing Zenmade, right? So the Zenmade mastermind was a really great one because it was the first big community on Facebook. So it's like, oh, you're a maid service owner. Oh, you're struggling with hiring. Have you asked that on the Zenmade mastermind? People don't feel like they're endorsing the Zenmade software. They're just recommending a free community for people to go and ask questions, right? And so that was a really big one. And so that was the one that really put us on the map because the next industry conference that I went to is like 500 maid service owners or, or whatever that are there. And that was the first year that walking through the hallways, I began to hear Zenmade like being talked about in conversations. And that year it was mostly around the Zenmade community. It wasn't around our software, but a lot of people don't seem to realize like the the value in that, right? Of like, it's pretty amazing if you can get people talking about your company, even if it's not your exact service, you can get to pitching them on the exact service, right? Get them talking about your company any way that you can, um, except by murdering somebody. If you murder somebody and they're talking about you because you like, you know, went to jail as the CEO, that's not going uh, not gonna fly. Um, so uh, that was like the first, um, the first like big big thing that we that we like did um, did there. Then from um, okay, so then 2016 is when we began to really turn into like a real a real sort of company. Um, I think that we um, we began hiring. I think we made our first hire maybe in 2015 or in or in 20 like 16. Um, but 2017 is where it really began to like to come together. That by the end of 2017, I think we had maybe like six people on the team or, um, or something like along, um, along, like along those lines, uh, at, at, um, let's see in, in 2017 though, at the end of the year, when we were actually at that conference that I'd mentioned before, that's when we had like possibly like the worst, um, the worst kind of time like for for zen made right like it's something that i hope no one on this call like goes through but it was kind of like the gauntlet right it was kind of like the thing that like i genuinely believe that if there were like ten thousand parallel universes and other entrepreneurs like me had the exact like chance you know to like to run this business or whatever i think that 90 to 95 percent of people would have dropped out during this fiasco so essentially what happened was we we spent over a year working on a redesign launched the redesign on Monday at midnight, and our software is like the backbone of our clients' businesses, we critically crashed the software from Monday until Thursday night, 
right? In the middle of the week. So not like a couple hour outage, like we're talking three or four days that our customers couldn't access their schedules to get to the work that they needed to do and to get paid and stuff. It was pretty fucking horrific. Um, sorry, I don't know if I can swear on this, but I, I guess I already did. I Let me know me. if I shouldn't do that again. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> um, so um, that was insanely, insanely rough. And for reference there, we lost 40% of our recurring revenue. So we were at about $18,000 a month and dropped down to, well, so out of the $18,000 like, a month that was coming in at the time from that customer like cohort or whatever, it came down to like maybe like 10,000 or like, or 11,000 or something at some point that we just obliterated our trust in the industry. The big key thing there was that, um, was that the new redesign the release was terrible, but the redesign itself was much better. And so what we very quickly saw was we very quickly, I mean, within a couple of months, we had more customers that had signed up since we'd launched the redesign than we had from customers from before that point. So it was very quickly like a, um, you know, water under the bridge, like history, like kind of thing. But you still have people in our industry that'll still mention like that that day. Um, so yeah, that was, that was fun. All right. Actually moving on. 2018, next big marketing idea. Um, is the uh, the Made Summit? You guys can check out madesummit.com if you want to see that. Um, that's your pretty standard like virtual conference. I think we've all seen it because we're all in SaaS. You know, it's almost similar to something that you're watching like this. But I work with made service owners who tend to be 10, 15, 20 years behind, like not necessarily behind like the times because that's <clears throat> not really. <clears throat> fair to them, but like behind internet marketers, essentially, right? So it's like, I look at internet marketing trends, like I look at what Russell Brunson is doing right now. And I can safely assume that like, we're going to be doing that in like three years, and it's going to work, right? But if I did it now, our industry like wouldn't be ready. So the Made Summit was massive, we got 50 plus um, industry influence to do a to do like talks for this thing that all happened in one week so for like a one to two week period uh everyone was just talking about the made summit most a lot of people didn't realize that we were the ones behind it and then of course like every person that visited that website we would retarget on facebook and go through and like eventually like close his business so that was uh pretty pretty massive um yeah and then i don't think there's really honestly too too much more to really like talk about the last like you know Know, two two to three years with COVID and stuff, it's really just just been like more of the same. You know, I mean, at some point, it's really just doing the work, right? At some point, you know, right now, like a lot of the stuff that we do, it's almost more dictated for us. It's not as much like innovation and stuff. There's just so many things going on at um at um. You know, like there's just so much, so much going on um, within the organization, right? That as the organization, you know, gets bigger and bigger, it's you know. It's just, a lot of a lot of boring boring stuff did you miss anything mash no no i i just wanted to ask him about the, the made summit because um what happens with, with, with a lot of these events right especially in the SaaS space there's i see that there's a lot of um, events that happen every year and then slowly over time more and more people learn about these events there's hype and then it slowly starts feeding itself you learn about the event more speakers come and join them and then as more speakers come, it attracts more um, attendees, right? So what I'm curious about, Amara, is yeah. in the beginning, right? Um, like, How did you solve the cold start problem when it comes to building a community and the ZenMate Summit? Because it's um, it's a big deal to get to yeah. the point. And I, I was on your website. People are literally saying, hey, Amara, thanks for putting this together. Mm-hmm. And I saw your speaker list. It's like 20 people. How did you like solve the cold start problem when you were initially starting that? 
How did you get people yeah. interested? Yeah, so sounds good. So um okay. Um yeah, good good question. So I I essentially like I so I'm I'm very extroverted, right? I've done like a lot of sales in the past and I've realized that in terms of like relationship building, like it's always better to have the relationship with someone before like you need the thing, right? So like for me, I knew when we entered the industry that like there was likely going to be something to working with partners, right? I didn't know how that was going to look. I didn't know, you know, anything really about how that was actually going to work, but I knew that it was likely going to be on the cards in the future. So I made an effort to reach out, especially after we found like our first partnership, I made an effort to reach out to industry, like influencers, to consultants, to stuff like, to, to like to folks like that. Um, and then, yeah, I'm glad the way you phrased that question, Mash, because like typically like what I've said in the past is like, oh, like, you know, if you're doing like a summit, then you know, like you've got to solve the cold start problem, but I didn't have to go through that. But I'm thinking about how I actually did go through that in the beginning. And so the biggest thing that I did, and I think it's something that, that I've realized um, like, like over time is just as human beings, you know, essentially you're compensated, you're paid for like for your skill sets and everyone has different skill sets, right? And things that are easy to you may be very difficult to like to other people and vice versa. And so whenever you can find something like that, where something is very easy for you, but means a ton to other people, now you have the option to either charge money or what you can do is you can essentially collect social capital by like offering those things for free. And what's interesting is that just by offering, you collect some of the social capital, even if they don't say yes, right? That me just saying, hey, Mash, like, can I make an intro for you to this person? Even if you go, no, the fact that I asked means you means you're going to think just a little bit like more highly of me, you know, like in like in, in, in your head, right? And so, um, and so what I did was I reached out to the consultants and I essentially just said, hey, you know, like I'm Mark, we're working on like on this software company. I would love to like to talk to you about it, but Hey, like while I have your attention, if you guys have any technical issues, feel free to drop me a message because like I have like someone that I go to for WordPress stuff and for like, for all these things, we may not be able to solve it, but I'm, I'm definitely going, going to be able to find you the person who can solve it. And we've actually like in the beginning, I would pay 50 or a hundred dollars to consult or not to consultants, but to freelancers to come in and to fix industry consultants issues, but then not tell them that I paid or like not pass on the cost, right? Of just like, oh, like, you know, it's, it, it's fine. You know, it just took an hour of like of my, my, my guy's time. Like, don't, don't worry about it. It's on me. And they don't know that that person wasn't even on my team that I literally just hired someone off of Upwork to like to solve their problem. And so I generated a ton of goodwill like over time. So then like when I wanted to do the maid summit, you know, when we did the very first maid summit, I sent out 35 invitations on Sunday night and I had 21 confirmations when I woke up on Monday morning. That was because of time zones, right? But like I got a ton of, of like of, of, um, of people that were in right from, from the beginning. And then the, the mastermind one is a little bit of a, of, of a different story. That, that one I did deal with the cold start problem and that it took a long time. It took, took a lot of, um, a lot of um, of time, and probably took a year or two to really get the mastermind to um, to, to to get going. To answer um, answer Alex's um, question uh, that he had asked earlier. So, with the remaining seven k and run in monthly revenue, how did you allocate that? How much into marketing, into development, into question mark, question mark, question mark? Yeah, good question. So, I don't remember exactly, but I mean, we didn't pay for any any development help until we were. 
three or four years into the into the three years three years into the into the business, about a year year and a half before that redesign fiasco was when we hired hired development help. So before that, it wasn't really there wasn't really anything there. So I think at about eight thousand dollars a month, maybe we were spending a thousand dollars a month, maybe on like generating just consistent traffic to the uh, to the website. A thousand dollars was being paid to me each month. We probably had some server costs and stuff like that, but honestly, like my co-founder, and I'm very, very thankful for it in hindsight. My co-founder was just very, very fiscally like conservative, and I knew he was much more, um, uh, much more responsible with the money than me. So I just, I just let him like make the decision there. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that we were probably when we were making eight k a month, we might have been putting three or four k a month like in in the bank, right? That we could have been paying ourselves that, but um, we we decided to put it in the bank. And then you know the the redesign that we did probably cost us a hundred thousand dollars, even even though like my CTO was was working on it the entire time with all the help that he needed. It took probably a year year and a half and probably cost us that much. So um, yeah, it's essentially we we were just we were just saving a lot of money. Uh, let's um, see other questions that had come in were. Um, about the can spam yeah app. we had a question from lobao um, of reiterated by johan about can spam and yeah. just like how to get it how to do that correctly with cold email yeah i mean this is a kind of a tough one like i don't want to give any sort of answer that's going to get anyone into like legal trouble you know like you know con- consult with an actual professional and all that you know um, fine print or, or whatever. To me, this is just more of like of a common sense thing. Like, honestly, I think that if you're having to ask yourself, like, is this spam or is it like an appropriate cold email, then like either you're clearly on the spamming side or you're a dev that hates sales and your email is completely okay. Right. So like the best thing to do is probably to just like ask on like on Twitter. But the main thing with the canned spam is that you can't have like misleading subject lines. You can't have anything that's going to be um, that's going to be, um, you know, yeah, mis- misleading or deceiving people or anything like that. They have to have an option to um, to opt out. And I mean, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, I think as, as long as you're emailing somebody that can actually like make use of your service, you're respectful if like they say no or to fuck off or whatever, you're not likely to get in trouble, at least in the United States. I know the other question that had come in was about Germany. In Germany, I would just not cold email. Unfortunately, that sucks. You live in Europe. It's not great for marketing. It doesn't seem to be as great like for, for business. Like I love Europe. I'm moving to Europe like ne- next year. but. I would just not touch cold email if I was if I was in in Germany, right? Like you you can look it up. I don't know. I that that's definitely one of talk to talk to your lawyer. But I I don't know for for some reason like German law scares me. I'm like I don't want to get on the wrong side of that. In the U.S., I'm just like I'll just pay a fine. Like you know that that's essentially what it was. You know, in the U.S., you get a slap on the wrist, right? Like it's just like okay, sorry, I'll cease and desist. <laughs> does does so. you move into Europe mean uh, emails out of your toolbox for marketing? <laughs> Well, so we actually don't don't use um, don't use cold email anymore. That that at some okay. point we got to the point where actually the number of leads it just became too much to manage between having our opt in in list that like we can send mass emails to versus mm-hmm. like the cold email ones. Oh, so actually one other thing because um, the, the the question I forget how how it was phrased, but the question mentioned mass marketing outreach. So one thing is make sure you're sending emails like one-to-one is don't use MailChimp to do like an email blast. It's okay to use a tool like quickmail.io or like, or what is it? Um, Lemlist or one of those, right? Where they're sending one-to-one like cold emails, but like 
absolutely do not like it. This is one thing that has never been cool, whether it's been legal or not, but do not take like a list that you have and then like upload it to like active campaign or to MailChimp or to like convert kit or one of those, like those people have not opted into your list. Like you need to use a very specific cold emailing software because all of those softwares are going to legally cover you, right? Like they won't let you email people that you're not supposed to be emailing because it's their ass on the line, right? So, you know, that, that that's that's a good way to make sure that you're not breaking any laws is like, don't, don't do it through Gmail just because you, you might do something inadvertently. Um, other questions that are coming in from Got Brian. Got some good ones from Brian. Yeah. Um, okay, let's see. Why just made services? So that's a really simple one. Um, are like, the problems that we are solving are completely different than other industries. Scheduling is not scheduling. The scheduling that is needed for carpet cleaning is completely different than the needs for, um, for like for home cleaning. And one thing is that we're very specific to home cleaners, not commercial cleaners, not Airbnb cleaners, Airbnb cleaners, completely different set of needs. You would think that it's the exact same because it's the exact same service, but the scheduling needs are completely different. The billing needs are completely different, right? There's an entire other party between the like guest and all this stuff. So it, um, so so yeah. So that that's essentially essentially why the other uh, the other actually like big answer there is that like even now the instant that we go into carpet cleaning, the instant that we go into power washing, the instant that we go into auto detailing, we lose every marketing advantage that we have right? That right now I'm so niche, right? Nobody wants to, well, not nobody, right? But like you can join Facebook groups with like 50,000 small business owners and like, sure, that's helpful, but you're probably not going to like have all that many meaningful conversations about your specific business, right? And now you compare that to a Facebook group that's just for maid service owners, just like you. And all of a sudden, like, you know, there's a much more powerful draw to that. Now, a lot of people will obviously choose to be in both because they like serve like both sides. But, you know, like imagine if I was, you know, trying to run like, I don't know, I mean, I guess there is like the home services summit, right? Like, they, that does like that does exist, but I just decided that I don't want to compete in that arena, right? That right now, all of my decisions are so much easier because I serve one industry, right? Like I have one target customer in mind. I don't have to keep in like take into account anything else. Um, and then one thing, if you guys follow me on Twitter is you'll notice that like everything in my life is optimized for freedom, convenience, and simplicity, right? So like, I, I, I don't want to like add complexity to the decisions that I have to make at ZenMade. That doesn't sound like fun to me, right? Now, granted, I'm kind of in like that zone where like I'm, you know, I, I'm challenged just enough. So it's not like I'm like bored, but like for me, it's like, uh, it's like optimizing more time, you know, at spots like this, right? Like this is, this is my view while we're having like this, this chat, like everything in my life is, is pretty much about that. And by the way, I don't know if you guys can read that sign right there, but right now I'm, I'm building ZenMade from Zen Beach which always, always makes, makes me laugh. How much did it so, cost to get the naming rights for that beach? Am I? <laughs> oh, good question. Good question. <laughs> but like, I wouldn't change it though. Like it's so perfectly named. So I don't know. <laughs> um, let's see other questions from Brian here. Um, cold emails for cold email campaign. Yeah. Good question. How did you find uh, made service owner emails for the cold email campaign? How did you increase the response rate? So uh, two good questions there. First one, simple. We just use Yelp. We just found, you know, just any directory we could have used Google. Um, but I essentially just had a VA and just said like, you know, here's a list of like the 
hundred biggest cities in the United States, just, you know, go in and like search these locations on Yelp. And then I'm sure at some point I said, go search these locations on Google and just add maid service and then see what are like the things that pop up. And I just said, you know, this is, this is what I need, right? Essentially I need the email and the phone number. Um, oh, sorry. Forgot something that I hope doesn't depress most of you. I also did cold calling when I was starting the business that I would cold email everyone. And then everyone that I cold emailed, I would also call like, you know, at some morning when I had time or on Saturdays, I would like take Adderall and just call all day. Like I would, I would pretty much do, do that, um, as, as well. Um, so what's the cold call from you sound like, like ring, 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 ring. Oh, hi. Who is this? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Great. Good, good question. Um, (laughs) yeah, uh, it would probably be like, Hey, 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 it's Amar. Like is, um, is like, is the owner available, right? Or if I know the owner's name, is the person available? And usually you get a man who's calling or are they expecting your call or something like that? Mm-hmm. And then it's usually, oh yeah, it's, it's Amar. It's Amar from Zenmate. I was checking to see if they received my email earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Or like they, 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 like they, they, they should have gotten an email from me like earlier, right? You can even say they're expecting a call from me as long as you said in your email, I'm going to call you. Right, like they're all truthful Fair things enough. to say. Right, <laughs> like you know, they're they're a tiny, tiny bit misleading. But, What's your hit you know, rate getting they're, them they're, on the phone from from the gatekeeper? Uh pretty high, pretty pre- pretty high. But that, but that's mainly because with maid services, they're they're not that like you know that they, they usually want to talk to like to to, to everyone. Um, and it's a yeah. service based business, right? So they have no idea if they're talking to a potential client or not. So it's actually decently decently like high. Um, getting folks to call back is like is is another thing. Um. Okay, what did you do or how did you increase the response rate? Okay, so so great question here, Brian, of like how do you increase the response rate? So there's kind of two answers for that, right? So one thing to like to, to remember is that you're not actually trying to like optimize the response rate, right? It's great to always improve your response rate, but remember that like ultimately you're optimizing for like getting more people on the phone or getting more people to actually buy. Like it's like it's a different, like different kind of thing. So what I found had the best response rate was a simple question, which was, do you do both residential and commercial cleaning? Just that. No name, no nothing, like not my name, not their name, nothing. Just do you do both residential and commercial cleaning? Almost everyone would respond to that message. And then we would take like the conversation from there. I think it, we, we kind of varied it up because we didn't honestly have like the best tracking on like on stuff at the time, right? This was back in 2013. So I, I was using Gmail for most of like for, for most of, um, of this stuff. But that was essentially how, um, how like we went about kind of like increasing like the, the response rate. But like we would occasionally go more direct. And like the more direct one was, are you happy with like your current calendar or scheduling? And so the difference between those two, the first one, really high response rate, it starts the conversation, right? Which means they're more likely to respond to future emails. But oftentimes they'll be turned off as soon as they realize that you're not actually a customer and you won't get response or whatever. That's okay. Lots of people don't respond, like respond anyways. The second email, much lower response rate, but the people that respond are already pre-qualified because they tend to be responding because they hate their current software, right? And so that that's where, you know, it, it's kind of like um, a mixed bag, you know, and I would suggest you guys test those out yourselves and see what your specific industry or what your niche responds to, right? Like, what worked for me is not necessarily going to like work for you guys, right? Like if you're more enterprise than us, those gatekeepers are going to be a real headache. For us, there rarely was a gatekeeper because you've got to be a decent sized maid service to even have an office manager to act as a gatekeeper. Let's see. Where can I find 
a Mar-like non-technical co-founder for my indie SaaS. I would say indie indie hackers or Twitter probably. Um, and with that, I would think they would probably be about building up your personal brand a little bit as a um, as like a technical founder. And then like putting it out into the world of like, hey guys, like I've got something, you know, that 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 like, you know, I think has like has potential here. I'm looking for like, you know, a non like a non-technical co-founder or whatever. But that's when I would definitely try to attract people. For me, I got I, I got lucky, right? Like, you know, my 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 co-founder, he was he was a friend from like from from back in the day. He actually approached me about it because he'd seen how hard I was working to improve like my sales and like you know all like all this other stuff, um, and he actually approached like approached me with it. So I I got very lucky, but I think that's why he kind of moved on to crypto and like is doing like all that stuff now. Whereas I was like, no, like this is my chance. Like it's not every day that like a developer like you know asks you like, hey, can I build you this product for you to just like go and sell and like own fifty percent of? And I was like, okay, yes, like I am I am totally totally in on that, right? Like I am never leaving this. So yeah. Uh, so you you've hit some goals now. Uh, is Zenmade still like a full time thing for you? Is it your even your focus right now? And if it is, what are you, what are your goals with it? Where are you trying to go? It, it is. It's my primary focus, but it's no longer full time. But that's by design, right? So so to me, I I now work as many hours as I'd like to in the day. So today is a pretty standard morning for me. That you know, it's about seven seven forty in the morning right now, and I woke up somewhere between like five and six got up got a little bit of work done and then like and then jumped on like on this call and that's my typical morning is i'm usually talking to some folks that are in the u.s or team members or like or whatever and i'll work from maybe five or six in the morning until about nine in the morning and then i'm usually off most of the rest of the day until about 4 p.m and then after that it's um, after that, like two or three nights a week, I have quite quite a bit of work into the evening, and the other three nights I'm completely free. So it's like one thing at four, and then like then then I'm um, I'm like I'm done done for the uh, for for the day. So essentially, my goals with ZenMade is um, well, yeah. So so essentially, um, essentially everyone chooses to play like a specific game in like their career, right? And like in life as well, right? And so lots of people are playing the game of make as much money as possible, right? Like most billionaires that you see, they don't need the money anymore. They don't need to be doing that anymore. Like the guys you see that are trying to race to get to a hundred billion and like, and stuff like that, like at that point, you know, it's like that, that, that's the game that they've chosen to play that might make some people miserable for them. They absolutely love it. For me, the game that I've personally chosen to play is I want to see how big I can build Zenmade while keeping this quality of life. So I don't look at people that are making $10 million a year. I'm not jealous of them unless I actually think that their lifestyle is also like better, better than mine. Right. Like to me, my lifestyle is way better than a lot of people that I know that are making a ton of money. Right. And I would not trade places with them for an instant. But there are some people that I see that I'm like, shit, you make like a hundred times more money than me. And you're having you're having fun. Like I, I want to get to that level just to see if I can. Right. Like I don't need to. Right. Like I, I don't have anything else to like spend the money on. But that, that's essentially the game that I've that I've chosen to play. So it's still it's essentially it's my full time focus, but it's not my full time job. Mash, you got a question? Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious, Amar. So we know that you speak to a lot of founders, you know, indie slash maybe a few years ahead. Yeah. They're making making a lot of money. Um, what my question is, what are two of the most challenges, two of the biggest challenges that early stage indie hackers find with marketing? 
And how do you propose usually that they come across or overcome it? I know it's very case dependent, depends on the startup and the industry. Yeah. But if there was two main challenges that a lot of early stage technical founders find when it comes to growth, what are they and how do you generally recommend that they overcome that? I mean, usually it just comes down to a sales problem. And by a sales problem, I mean that usually, um, usually the biggest struggle is just asking for money. Right. And, and essentially limiting beliefs, right? Like almost every founder that I talk to, and I mean, like, I, I, hell, like I have, I have limited beliefs. Everyone has limiting beliefs, right? But every like early stage founder that I talk to oftentimes has limiting beliefs around like asking for money, right? The number of indie hackers that I've seen that now make money because at some point one of their clients was like, you can't keep offering this from free. Like here, take my money to me is way too high, right? Like if that's the case, they could have built a successful business probably a year or two before that if they'd just gone out and actually like and actually like sold. Um, and so I, I think like on, honestly, like I think it's actually um, like the, the biggest thing that I, that I would probably say is a lot of people both underestimate themselves and they underestimate like what they've created despite all the evidence to the contrary. Right. The number of folks that I see that are like, oh, yeah, I've got all these like happy users. Like I couldn't charge any money. And you're just like, OK, so like you, you validated that you're creating enough value for people to keep coming back to you. And yet and yet like like some like somehow there's a mismatch because you don't think that there's any value that you could like charge there. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. And I think that for a lot of people once they have like that breakthrough and it sort of clicks in their head and they realize it's okay to ask for money, it's okay to, to like to charge money. That's why you see a lot of people with that very, very flat line for like two years. And then all of a sudden it's like they jump to 5k or to like 8k or to 10k as like a solo dev. So that's where they started doing sales. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and you, and usually if they've already gotten the product and everything else to that point, that sales just takes off as soon as they're willing to just like ask for the money. Right. Which is, which is quite quite funny. So yeah, I, I would say that's probably like the biggest the biggest roadblock. Um, the other thing that I would say is that um, is that another like big like roadblock or obstacle. It's way too many new founders are trying to market as if they're a big business, right? They're like, okay, well, I'm like, here's my content strategy, and you're like, okay, but if this is your content strategy and you don't have any customers yet, you're looking at waiting six to nine months before any of this like works, and you don't know if it's going to work. Right. Like you have to find something that works faster. Right. And that works now. And then you can focus on the long term stuff. Right. Like if somebody tried to come in and to beat Zenmade by copying our distribution models, they would have zero chance for someone to come in and to beat Zenmade right now. They've got to come in and use Snapchat or TikTok or some other like social media platform that we're not active on yet to get that initial, you know, spearhead and to get those initial 50 champions, you know, a hundred champions or whatever to then expand like from there. But if they try to come in and compete with Zenmate on SEO, it's like, you know, I like, I take all the articles or sorry, I take all the videos from the Maid summit, give them to like, you know, quality writers and then have them turned into like really, really high quality articles. So like, you know, the Zenmade blog has 500, 500 articles and counting of like actually amazing quality information. Like, you know, like there's no way anyone's going to come in and beat us on that, right? Like, you know, if they do, I'm really not good at my job. <laughs> um, he's asking, have you considered hiring a CEO to replace yourself? Just becoming an advisor of the company and going all in on the lifestyle? Uh, yeah, I've, I've thought about that. But honestly, I'm still very, very fulfilled in the work that I do daily. Like do, doing that sounds boring to me. 
Um, but it, it is it is on the cards. And I do think that in the long run, like, um, you know, one of the people that I really look up to that I'm sure a lot of folks on this call know is um, is Andrew Wilkinson, right, who has um, who has tiny capital or tiny co or whatever. And um, and so, you know, the way that I've just looked at it is with Zenmade. I'd say there's a good chance that in the future I'm going to have like a portfolio of SaaS companies, buy a couple others. I've already tried to buy, or I, I have actually bought two two others, but not, neither of them like worked out. Good learning experiences, but not, neither of them like worked out. Um, and so, um, yeah, like it, it's crossed my mind. Like I think I'm much more likely to hire a CEO to to replace me than I am to um, to sell the company. But I I can't imagine really doing that if I didn't already have kind of the next project like in in place, or if I didn't essentially have something like you know I'm going to go try to get like my jujitsu black belt in the next six months. So like I'm going to you know remove myself and go do that, and then after six months I'll revisit kind of like kind of the business stuff. That that's kind of where my head's at now. Right on. Well, Amar, thank you so much for your time here. Thanks for, for hopping on this call. Uh, and if you're interested in getting a lot more of Amar, definitely go through MASH Sparrow Startup, see if you can't get in on the one-one mentoring. Uh, follow me on Twitter. Check out my website, theamericandream.com. It's Amar as an A-M-A-R, not the American dream. Uh, thank you guys, everybody who's watching. Hey.